I'd like to welcome you to the ministry of McCormick's Creek Church. We certainly hope that you will enjoy this selection. His, his, his wants, uh, his passion is to have true apostolic revival. And uh, it's more than just building a church and filling seats. The pastor talked about that last week. You could have five, six hundred people in a congregation and have only 30 or 40 sold out. But what good is a church or a packed place if people don't have uh, the same goal and to and believe in it and buy into it? You know, Amway sells out, packs out stadiums. And, and uh, it, people draw crowds. Uh, circuses draw crowds. You know, so anybody can draw a crowd, you know. Yet. So it takes more than that. And God's more, more interested in a church that is sold out than just a crowd of people. And a lot of times we base whether revival on numbers or whatever. But there's got to be in this last day people that have an understanding of what true apostolic revival is. God is after numbers. I understand that. But there is always going to be a church within a church. We're praying that that church within the church influences more and more people. It is God's will for us as people of God to to influence people. And uh, I'm so proud of Brother Jake, what he's doing and, uh, influencing people, brother Jake. If they, if 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 the people that you teach Bible studies cancel out on you next week, you keep teaching Bible studies. You don't ever quit. And God uh, wants to move in this last day like He's never moved before. It's I've I've, I've preached it umpteen times. Pastors preached it. You've heard it. This church was built and birthed in a fire. They had apostolic moves. Of God. It was an absolute incredible move of God in the beginning, in its infancy. God did never has never intended for this last day church to be weaker than it was than it was in the beginning. In its infancy, at probably in a time that it probably should have been at its weakest. It was such a powerful, packed church. It was a church that was on fire. It was a church that experienced miracles, signs, and wonders. I mean, they, it was nothing for them to see the dead raised. Uh, it was nothing to see the people had, had come in. They uh, didn't have room to bury somebody in the grave. And so they just prayed for them. And God raised them from the dead. It was nothing for them to see somebody's limb grow out that didn't have an arm. They saw incredible things. And I want to, to, I want to get, to the, get the church to understand that God's intention for this last day, the latter rain, is supposed to be greater than the former rain. That was the intentions of God. Somehow we have... Dumbed it down. We have, we have, uh, we we've got another agenda. We we're too busy for other things, and we don't have time for it. And 
God's not going to pour revival out on people that are half-hearted about this thing. But when we start getting sold out to this thing, that's when God is going to start moving in a great way. Acts 2 and 43, I'm just going to read through these. I've got a lot of Scripture I'm going to try to get through. You don't have to stand. The Bible says, And fear came upon every soul. Say fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. I remember as a little boy having a fear, uh, a fear of God. It, it, it's changed over the years. And I, I hate to admit it, and you've known me for a long time, and I'm just going to be openly and honest. That's, that's the only way I know how to be. I have, the, the older I get, I feel like there's times that I have lost that fear of God. We all have. I remember as a kid growing up, I remember before I'd go to bed, I repented 30 times before I went to sleep because I was scared to death to think that if God came back at night and I had done something before I went to sleep and I didn't repent over it, that I would go to hell. That was a fear and reverence to God. Maybe it was my dad and my mom uh, putting the fear of God in me, wanting me to walk the straight and narrow, and they was... Maybe that's so, but I do remember having that fear of God. And I remember it was, it was more prevalent back then when I was a kid uh, 30 years ago that the church, it seemed like people had more of a reverence to the house of God. People acted different in the house of God. People had more fear about it. And we had incredible revival. And I believe that it stemmed from, uh, that revival stemmed from an incredible fear of God, and it seems like in the last day that we have lost that fear and reverence to God. And I, but I believe that fear, what that fear does, it captures our attention and it demands our attention, and we are we become focused when we have that fear. And the Bible said they had fear upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. When there is no respect. For the word of God and the ministers of the Lord, then signs and wonders will falter. But when we begin to start fearing God in a godly fear, that we will see miracles, signs, and wonders take place. It is imperative that signs and wonders take place. We are living in a world that has that they have nothing to look forward to. There is absolutely no hope. Uh, regardless of money or, or prestige, there are people that are even wealthy that are killing themselves every single day because they have absolutely no hope. And if they're ever going to see uh, any kind of hope, they've got to see a church that still believes and still participates in the miracles, signs, and wonders. Think about signs and wonders. What does a sign do? It Signs uh, demand direction or point people to the right place. Do you know what a sign is? I looked it up. It means a sign in the Strong's Concordance. A mark or an unusual occurrence transcending the common course of nature. It's things that are unexplainable. Things that happen, we, we, we've had them happen uh, here and there in our, in, our, in our congregation. And 
and, and people that, uh, that have been healed or been in the hospital or people have cancers uh, and all of a sudden the, the doctors, uh, uh, they don't understand how in the world that they're healed. But we know that God had healed them or God had put a mark on them and unusual occurrences, things that transcend common course of nature. And he also said that there would be wonders. Do you know what that word wonders is? Can anybody tell me? I didn't know. I thought I knew. And I looked it up. You want to know what it says? Strong's Concordance says, A miracle performed by anyone. We say, Brother Hill, you mean the pastor? Or the preachers on the platform? Or the, the elders of the church? No, it says that a miracle performed by anyone. See, we, we, we've got it all wrong. We, we, we're putting the responsibility of the miracle signs and wonders on preachers. And we wonder why in the world that we're not seeing it. When the fact is that every single one of us that have been baptized in the name of Jesus and filled with the Holy Ghost, the Bible says that you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. This thing here... Anybody that gets the Holy Ghost has the ability to, to have wonders and signs working in their lives. And we've got saints that are not convinced. We've got saints that walk in, in, in the grocery store that are not truly convinced that people that are hurting, that they can really help. What do they do? I get calls all the time. Brother Hill, I've seen a guy in this restaurant. You need to pray for him. No offense, and I'll pray for him. Brother Robertson will pray for him. Ministry will pray for him. Brother Eldar will pray for him. But what about you praying for him? Have we, have, seriously, have we forgotten who we truly are? And what we've done is we, we know good and well that we personally cannot heal somebody. We personally know we cannot give the Holy Ghost to somebody. So what people do as saints is that they know that they can't do it, so they pass the buck, and they put it off on somebody else, and they assume that the preacher's going to do it, or they assume that the pastor is going to do it. But when are we, as a church, going to get together and say, hey, this is my job, this is my responsibility, I'm going to lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. I, I, I honestly think God holds back sometimes because He is waiting on us to fulfill our role as a church. It is not my job. I'm not the only one in this place. Pastor's not the only one in this place. Ministry is not the only people in this place that can lay hands on the sick. I can't heal anybody. I can't give anybody the Holy Ghost. I'm just, I'm just, I just feel like that we need to understand that the role of, of the saints it, it have, has been lost. We are more powerful than we think. We need to start doing what God called us to do in this last day. Acts 2, uh, 2 4 through, uh, 44 through 45, it says, And all that believed were together. I, I don't want to go any further than that. 
It said, and all that believed were together. In other words, there was nothing between each one of them as far as there was, there was no conflict. They had one goal in mind. They, they didn't, they, they, they weren't cliquish. They weren't, they weren't, in, they had one thing in, in, in mind and that was to see the kingdom of God fulfilled. The kingdom of God fulfilled. That's the gospel preached. They didn't fight amongst themselves. There wasn't none of that. Oh, I know that Paul had to set some, the record straight to the, to the, uh, the church of Ephesus and the, uh, and, and the, Philipp, uh, the Philippian church and all that. I know he had to eventually set some things right, but they had allowed things to come in their lives. And that's the things that hindered, hindered revival. But what brought the power, what brought the wind on the day of Pentecost was this. They were there gathered in one mind. Oh, I know that sounds so simple. I'm getting hot. I, I know that sounds so simple. But it is the truth that unity is what is going to bring us together and give us what we need to accomplish. It is going to, it is the secret uh, uh, weapon is unity and that is what we need in this last day is to, for the church to come together. It says, and they all believed together. Listen to what it says. And they had all things in common. I wasn't preaching something and brother Jake Rubel's preaching something else. We all preached one thing in common. Now, I'm not talking about he believes it's, uh, he, he, he thinks it's all right to eat steak and I don't believe it's all right to eat steak or whatever, things like that. I'm talking menial things. I, I'm not, don't look at her. I'm talking about doctrinal and biblical things. They had one thing in common, and that was to build the kingdom of God. And the problem in this last day, there's too many people building their own kingdoms in this last day church. I want to be the, the greatest preacher that I can be. That's a, I, I don't believe I'm a great, great preacher. I don't believe I'm a great teacher. But I'm trying to be a great preacher. And I'm trying to be a great teacher. But I don't do those things because I want to look good or I want to preach a camp meeting. Chances are I probably never do it. I want to... I want to be a better minister, a better preacher. Why? Because I want to be a more effective tool for God to use in this last day. That's, that's the problem with a lot of people. They're building their own kingdoms. And when people start building their own kingdoms, they fall away. They start doing things on their own, and they start doing things their own way. And when you start doing things your own way and not God's way, you're going to falter. Listen to what they said. Now, this next one, we don't like to hear it because we assume we're going to have to sell our house and live in a tent and be like a bunch of gypsies. They sold their possessions and they sold their goods and they parted them to all men as every man had need. You know what that was saying? That was a principle that, that was written in the Bible. They're, they were saying that their possessions did not own them. 
that their God wasn't their, I know they didn't have cars. Their God wasn't their house. Their God wasn't their possessions. It was an outward expression to God that they were saying, hey, I'm sold out. These things that I have doesn't mean anything. The kingdom of God is, is all that matters to me. And that is what it is going to take. It is going to take people that are together, that preach things in common, that have one common message, death, burial, and resurrection. And thing, uh, possessions don't own me. Things don't own me. My jobs don't own me. My cars I, doesn't mean anything to me in comparison to the kingdom of God. And we should be willing to be able to let those things go in order to sacrifice for the kingdom of God. Things that are temporal, we should be able to let them go, let them fall away for the things that are eternal. Amen. Can you say amen? Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Acts 2, 46 through 47. You have that. And they're continuing daily with one accord in the temple. And breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Now, now look at that. He said that they had all things in common in their heart and in their mind. It said one thing in, excuse me, continually, daily with one accord. That meant they had all things together in purpose in their mind and also in their heart. They meant what they did. They weren't just going through the, the motions. They weren't just doing it because everybody else was doing it. They had purposed it in their heart. They believed this thing. You've got to be sold out to this thing. Some people just have things in common in their mind. And they don't have it together in their heart. That is why it is so vital for a parent not to just teach their, teach their kid how to quote Scripture. But give their kid an understanding of Scripture. Because you can teach somebody Scripture, uh, be able to quote Scripture. They can know it. But if they don't have it in their heart, they'll never ever live it. Too many people that's got it up here and doesn't have it here. If you have it here, you're not going to let it go. If you believe it. See, Brother John, this is a life or death thing for me. Why? Because I don't just know it, but I feel it. And I know it's my life. This, I know my son, Ethan, I've made a, an example out of him. Incredible. T- he's, is he not... I, I don't want to swell any more than it is. But an incredible talent. He's got college coaches look at, already knowing who he is. Telling him that he's, he'll probably end up having a scholarship, whether it's baseball or track. He's got that kind of ability. And if I've I, I got to be very careful because that, that can pull him away from this thing. But see, he, he, I've got a... I've got to more than just put it in his mind that this is the right thing. He's got to feel it. He's got to know it. Because 
That's the things that's going to keep you when you're going through hell and high water and things are not going so good. It's more than just knowing it right here, what's right to do. But when you got it right here, that's, a, that's, that's our job is to have singleness in our heart, praising God and having favor, favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be. Why? Because they had it in their head and they had it in their heart. We've got, to, we've got to get that understanding. It takes more than just knowing Scripture and being able to quote it. I have friends that are, are of other denominations that quote way more Scripture than I ever thought about quoting. They have it here, but they don't have it here. And when all, all of a sudden all kinds of hell breaks loose in their life, they're out. They're done. It's because they don't have it here. We've got to have it in our heart. The Bible says the disciples continued in the spirit of unity in the temple every day, ministering to each other from house to house. They were content with what God provided for them. They were willing to let everything go in their life. I've seen more people fall away because they didn't have it here. And the possessions that they had was more important than, than, than the church. Their job was more important than being here. It's really quiet in here right now. I'm really, it's really uncomfortable. It's, it's really hard on a preacher when it's really quiet and you can feel that intensity that you're hitting on something. They lived in an attitude of praise. Everything in their life revolved around praise. I, 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 let me finish my point about my son. Now, I've got, these, I've got these people all the time coming to me. I had an all-star baseball coach come up to me a few weeks ago. He said, your son is the most talented baseball player I've ever had the, uh, the, uh, the opportunity to coach. He, this guy played college baseball. He said, he, it's amazing. He said, Every, he's got it all. He's got all of it. He said, you need to let him come and help him help me train my all-star team. I said, well, when is it? He said, well, a lot of Wednesday nights at 8.30. And I said, I, said, I'm, I said, I don't want to be rude. I said, but this, this baseball thing and this track thing is just an extra thing that we do. But our life. Oh. Our life is church. And the problem with people in this world that sports and other things are their life and church is an extracurriculum or it's just a side road to get involved in. That's why you see more suppers and chicken and dumpling dinners instead of having church. That's why you, there's a church not too far from here that on Super Bowl Sunday, they show the Super Bowl on Sunday night on their back screen and serve popcorn in their sanctuary and eat caramels and drink Pepsi. Oh, they have more people in their church than that night. Why? Because church is just kind of part of their life. And they don't have it in their heart. I talked to my friend... Lyle, he said that he had a guy in his church. He said he remembers one of the guys when he was growing up. He said that uh, he he would 
he would come to church on Sunday, on Easter, and Christmas. He said, and every Easter he would say, Well, preacher, I'll see you at Christmas. And then on Christmas he said, Well, preacher, I'll see you on Easter. Two times a year he'd come to church. But what was funny, in people's hearts and their minds, they, they, they justify themselves and they, they talk themselves into feeling good about themselves, come to church. And in that man's heart and his mind, he was all right. But don't we do that? Well, we had a really good prayer meeting on Sunday before service. We don't have to do that on, on Monday. These people were so intense with, with the things of God that they lived it constantly. The cycle of their life. This was the cycle of their life. Preach the gospel to new people. Preach the gospel to new people. We can preach and preach and preach and preach and say messages. And I, I love getting in the Word of God and taking Old Testament things and, 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 and building bridges to the New Testament and having nifty thoughts and preaching those things. I love to do that. I talk to preacher friends about it all the time. We throw thoughts around. But you know what? We should get our satisfaction not to preach to saints, but to preach to new people. New people. He's not in here right now, but, and, and that's probably a good thing, but I'll use him as, as an example why he's gone. But I brought Brother Rocky come to my office a little bit ago when you were in, in, in your office talking. You know what he told me? He said, when I drive to this church property, he said, that's the only time in my life that I feel good. He said, when I leave here, he said, I feel down. He said, and I don't like that. He said, I don't feel happy unless I'm on the church property. He said, and I know when I leave tonight, he said, I'll feel down again. He said, but I'm happy to be here because I feel good. And I told him, I said, listen. I said, tonight when you get baptized, you can take it home with you. And our fuel, what makes us dig ourselves out of depression, and what should make us dig ourselves out of the bad times in our lives is getting to witness and seeing people like that delivered. Listen, you don't understand what this guy went through. His father died at 37 years old. His, he's had people in his life, tons of people commit suicide. People's died of drug overdoses and, and all kinds of stuff that they've went through in his life. He's lost all bit of hope. This is his last stop right here. This guy that comes in, it's his last hope. And this, we have the ability to hand this man truth. And that should boost our, our self-esteem as a church. It should build us. It should help mold us. It should help. That's what should drive us. Hold on. Listen to me. I know that we should have prayer means. It shouldn't, it, that should not be the fuel for us to, 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 to go further. It should just be seeing souls saved. We, we should be content as a church 
hearing the same exact message, death, burial, and resurrection, every Sunday night. But you say, well, I heard, Pastor preached that last Sunday night. He preached it once already. I've heard that. We're going to dry up here. We should get our food, our, our spiritual food, from seeing other people hear the gospel. There is nothing better than seeing somebody's eyes open up to the oneness of Jesus Christ. When the first time that their whole life they believed in three gods, they believed that it's it's the the way you're saved is just to believe or or have faith in God. And all of a sudden they see the truth. I'll never forget. There was a guy sitting at my desk. I was giving him a Bible study a few months ago, and he seen for the first time the oneness of Jesus Christ. And he backed away from my desk. And he had to catch his breath. He goes, oh. He could, I mean, he stopped breathing for a few seconds. Because he was so shocked and revealing that. And I sat back and I watched it. And I was enamored by his expression. At first I thought, I can't believe this guy. This, this guy's having this kind of reaction to this. But after I seen this guy's reaction, it made me happy. And their, their life revolved around preaching the gospel to new people. And they established believers in the, uh, in the apostles' doctrine and fellowships, which was small groups, people in houses. Uh, they took communion in remembrance of the Lord's death and held prayer meetings in their homes. It became a way of life to them. That's how they had apostolic revival. It wasn't just a Monday or a, a Sunday morning and Sunday night. No offense to these churches that went to one day on Sundays. If they do it, that's fine. I have friends that do it. But I'm going to be on three days a week. Or three times a week's really not enough. And then when we're here, we're under the microscope and under a time limit. Because when 8.30 rolls around on Wednesday, what are we accustomed to? we got to get out. And if you have church past 11.30, people's going to get mad because what? The Baptists beat them to the Texas Roadhouse. We get in this frame of mind. We've all done it. And all of a sudden, we don't have time for God. We don't have time for the things of God. And you know what he says? He says, okay, if you don't have time for me, I don't have time for you. And so we we think God should only show up at certain times of the day when God wants a continued relationship. And the way that he built this church and, and had it in his mind, the perfect, the perfect, way for him to have church was for us to continue daily in the apostles' doctrine, house to house, breaking bread and fellowship. There's too many people, though, just want to just break bread and not have the spiritual things. That, that, is, a, that is, a, is a problem a lot of times. All people want to do is eat hot dogs and, and, and hamburgers and leave all the spiritual things out of it. Those things... The fellowship part of that should help us bring together our thoughts 
for us to have things in common. That should bind us together in unity. Then we can see the thing, things in the spiritual world happen. I remember grandpa, my grandpa telling me they used to have revivals, just incredible revivals, and they were like 13 and 14 weeks long. These people were, were farmers, and they would work from day... From, from daylight to dark, and then they would go to church and then go from home, from church back to home and then get up, and they would do it all the time. And he told me about things that happened. He, he, I'll, never, I'll never forget he told me about this one lady that she had a newborn baby, and, and uh, she, he said that she got so happy in the Holy Ghost that, believe it or not, he's seen it. Uh, it's kind of odd for me. I've never seen anything like this. But she, he said they was in this brush harbor thing. He said she threw that baby up and it went in the ceiling and somebody caught it and that baby never woke up. And that lady, he said, I'll never forget. He said, I seen her. He said, I didn't understand at the time, but she was laying on in the dirt in that old brush harbor place. I, I can't describe it. Does anybody know what a brush harbor is? What is it? Yeah. Did they have a ceiling over it? Some tarp? But he said this woman was laying in the dirt speaking in tongues. He said in the same service, he remembers this, uh, this uh, guy, he just started speaking in tongues and they was in this old barn. He said there was a potbelly stove and it was red. He said he just fell right over it. And his face was laying on it. He was speaking in tongues. He had gotten the Holy Ghost, and he's laying his face on this red thing, and he's looking at this guy, wondering why in the world this guy didn't catch on fire. And he got up, and he didn't have a mark on him. It was a... Things, things, we, we obviously know that God hasn't changed. We, we obviously know that the church, that God intends for this church to, to continue in, in the power and the Holy Ghost. So what's changed? They were there for the long haul and they weren't leaving until the power of God fell. And with that mentality, they had church from the beginning to the end. They didn't have to pump and prime, have to have the choir direct, uh, singer up here killing himself and the piano player killing himself, whatever. They have to do all that. They came prime. They lived in it constantly. They had a constantly mindset it in, with it. But we live, in, we live in such a crazy day. I, under, I understand it. I've got three boys. You all have kids and stuff. We too, we so busy, but we're going to have to to take a break from some things. 
We're going to have to get a mindset somehow. Because I, I, I know that God wants... I, he, I remember my aunt also in, in those services, and she was just a, a young lady, said there was... She was sitting... She described it. She was sitting on the third, third pew back, and she was... She, in her old church, she explained, she was sitting in the, on the end of the third pew. And she said these three guys had come in just to disrupt. Excuse me, I'm, I'm sorry. They were sitting on the third pew. And she was sitting on the front pew, and she was worshiping God. She always sat on the front pew. That's right. And they sat back here in the corner, and all three of them just was mocking, constantly silly, cussing, whatever. And my aunt, she said, God... She said, I, I want you to show these men how powerful you are. I want you to show them that you are God and I want you to save them and let them know that this is real and this is something not to mock. Put the fear of God in them, she says. She said she woke up and she was, she was sitting on the front pew and her face was underneath the second pew. And she was looking up at it. She said, I had to roll over and crawl out. She said, I got up. She said, there was all three of those boys at the altar. And they were speaking in tongues. And so after a service, my aunt walked up to him, my Aunt Pat. She said, i got to ask you a question. She said, I noticed you coming here acting like fools. She said, I, what made you, what prompted you to go to the altar? And they said, well... We seen you begin to jump and shout. And when you fell back, you went through the pews. <laughs> she said, well, that explains why I'm looking up, was looking up at the second pew. And she, they said, since we saw that, we had to know that there was something to it. And the pastor told my aunt, she said, those, all three of those boys jumped up and ran to the altar. <laughs> Miracles, signs, and wonders... What it does, it causes fear and respect. So when the church starts having those types of things happen, and it comes through consistency and, and, and faithfulness and getting involved, not just every now and then, but every time the doors are open, they had service. I mean, Peter and John... They had service on the way to service. They had service on the way to the church. The Bible says that Peter and John were on their way to the temple. And tradition, the tradition way of doing things was you didn't start church until it was time to have church. And obviously, listen, obviously the man that was sitting at the gate or at the temple doors that couldn't go in that church, you know, people with flaws, people that had any kind of shorter leg than each, uh, the other, they, had, they couldn't walk, they, they, had, they were blind, they, they were, had leprosy, they could not enter into the temple. If I'm not, if I, I, I'll have to, I, I may, somebody may correct me later, but I'm pretty sure that if you had a flaw larger than, it was a coin, one of the coins, if you had a flaw, you a blemish on your body. You had a birthmark. You weren't allowed to go in the temple. So here's a guy that wasn't allowed to go in the temple. 
And the tradition kept him there. The tradition in his life was that they gave him a coin. Somebody gave him a coin every now and then. Well, when Peter and John were on their way to the temple, they said, we, we want, he said, we, we need some money. Well, Peter and John didn't have any money. He said, silver and gold, have I none? But such as I have, give I thee. Rise up and walk in the name of Jesus. See, they had a mentality. For the longest time, people had a mentality of only starting church at church time. But here's Peter and John. They show up, and they had broken all the tradition. And the, the thing about it, the tradition part in this man's life... What was tradition for him? Tradition was the silver and gold, the things that were menial, the simple, the, the things that would fall off and burn. He was always get, getting silver and gold. The problem with tradition was that tradition kept him coming back there and reliving the same dreadful day that he was always living his whole life. His dad or mom had to lay him at that gate, and tradition got him what? Just to eat for one more day. That's what tradition gets us from day to day, just, just barely getting by. And that's what he was expecting. And he said, hey, tradition, we don't have it. Silver and gold have we none, but such as I have, give I thee, rise up and walk in the name of Jesus Christ. See, they had church before they got to church. They had that mentality. And that's what God expects for, from us in this last day. That we can pray people to do the Holy Ghost before we get to church. Did you know that you can pray for somebody to get the Holy Ghost in, in Kroger? It's okay. I, I know I'm not, I'm not being very traditional when I'm teaching this. But you can. I remember, I've told this story before, I'll tell it again for those who haven't heard it. I remember writing... We, we passed through Tennessee, in Tennessee. I told you where that we was coming down through La, uh, around La Follette in Clinton, Tennessee. And I remember I was backslid. I was going to hell. I was suicidal. I was, every day I got up, I was thinking I had a, I had a tree picked out, thinking I'm, one day I'm going to get the courage to drive my car into that tree. Every day I got up. I was looking for a reason to live. And I, I got up one day and went to work. It was a Friday night. I was going to go hang out with some youth in the church. I wasn't in church, but I was going to go hang out. And I passed this guy going 70. He's walking. He's long-haired, hippie-looking guy, just, just rough. And God spoke to me in my backslidden state, and he said, pick him up. I still heard the voice of God through all that cloudiness in my heart and my mind. And I passed him. Think about it. I was going 75 mile an hour. And I passed him, and, and uh, for about two minutes I drove at 75. So when I got down the road, he was that big, you know. And God spoke to me again, and I pulled over, and I backed up all the way to the inter- Think about this. I backed up the interstate on the road. If, I, if a cop would have come, I'd have been in trouble. But he got in my car, and I said, listen, man, I can't take you. I'm going up to Clinton exit. He said, well, I'm going to La Follette. I said, That's in 60 miles. I can't go that far. He said, well, I'll get off at Clinton. So he gets in my car. I'm backslid, going to hell, and God begins to work on me. I begin to talk to this man, come to find out his girlfriend beat him up. Man, that's a sad state. 
when your girlfriend beat you up. He had blood all over his face. He stunk to high heaven. And I began to talk to him and witness to him. I began to talk, tell him about Jesus. He said, yeah, I know about all that. He said, my grandma taught me this. He said, we're such and such church. And I began to tell him about the Holy Ghost. He said, I never even heard anything like that. And I told him about Jesus' name, baptism. He said, I was baptized. They said, Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And I began to tell him, I said, well, you need to be baptized in Jesus' name. I was throwing caution to the wind. I didn't care. I didn't have anything to lose. I kept looking in at my reflection in the rearview mirror, and I, hell kept saying, saying to me, well, you're not even worth anything yourself. You're backslid. And I just kept pressing forward. With this guy, and I, I kept praying for him and telling him that everything was going to be all right. He was suicidal himself, and I kept praying for him. Anyway, he said, I want, I want this Holy Ghost. He said, you need to tell me where I can get it. I said, well, you can have it now if you want it. He said, well, how do I get it? So all I have to do is repent. He said, really? I said, yeah. He threw his hands up. My little Nissan Sentry couldn't get his hands up, and I'm crowded his hands in my face. I'm driving down the road. He begins to cry. Laid my hands on his shoulder and I begin to pray for him. He began to speak in tongues. Sixty miles down the road he was speaking in tongues. I forgot I was supposed to let him out. It was too late now. And so I got him home, his house, and God filled him with the Holy Ghost in my car. Why? Because I just threw away tradition. My I didn't care. It didn't matter. This man needed it now. These people, these people that we're out witnessing to, they cannot afford to wait to service. I can't, I, I'm getting ready to close, but I can't tell you how many people in my lifetime that I have witnessed to on a Monday and before the end of the week, before Sunday got here, they, was, they had been dead, hit by a car, whatever. It happened four or five times, and I've had to live with it. And instead of me saying, hey, let's throw tradition out, let's go get baptized right now. We need to get that mentality. We need to throw away tradition church. And we need to start having church like God wants us to have church. It's time for us to step it up. It really is. Let's all stand. It came, it came with the understanding of fear of God. Ananias and Sapphira, they come before the before Peter. And they, they begin to lie. They lied to the Holy Ghost. And right there, they drop dead in front of everybody. And that tragedy caused people to fear and to respect the things of God. That's, and the Bible says that since that day, in, from that one time, they started seeing notable, incredible things happen. People was healed. Church, the church was added to daily. Thousands of people began to receive the Holy Ghost. Thousands. And it come with the fear and reverence of, 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 of the power of God. We need to have that fear in our churches today. God still... Not just a God of grace and mercy, but He's also a judge of the judgment.
God of judgment. God, forgive us for being lax in our spirits. The Bible says that they had boldness because of that. Let's give the Lord a hand clap.